John chapter 3, let's just get started, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now this tells us a lot about this man. He was a Pharisee, which we, we know as Paul talked about the strictness of the Pharisees. They were very vigilant, very serious-minded about their religion. He was a man of the Pharisees, his name was Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. He was a man with authority, a man of importance. Verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, which is, which is teacher, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Well, let's pray, okay? Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to study together. Thank you we can gather in this place and sing songs and fellowship together. We thank you, dear Lord, for the change that you make in a life, just like the woman at the well, as we were singing about a moment ago, the change you can make in a life. People are thirsty. People are needy. They're seeking, many seeking in the wrong places. But Father, we pray that you'd help us as your children, as your ambassadors, Lord, to be involved in your work and to be prayerful, to be spiritually minded, to be willing, Lord, to be convinced that what we have is the best news in the world. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing we notice, we're going to go through this passage. We're going, to, we're going to just notice some things that we can learn from in this, this dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. The first thing we see is that Nicodemus came to Jesus with questions. Now that's, that's important. Now we don't always have people coming to us. But, but, it's, but it's good if they come to us. But if Nicodemus had questions, that means he was interested. I believe God was already working in him. God was already working. He recognized some things about Jesus, and he was wanting answers. And we just try to put this in the setting, if you could. You know, Jesus has been actively teaching and preaching. As a matter of fact, if you back up just a few verses from John 3 to the end of John chapter 2. And it says, beginning in verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name. Notice that. When they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So here Jesus is, it's the Passover. The Passover is the biggest feast, celebration, Jewish holiday on the calendar. And all these people are in Jerusalem. And Jesus is there and he's teaching and it says they believed on him. Which that's an interesting phrase, they believed on him, they believed on him. I believe they believed who he was, they believed he was a great teacher. But they did not believe on him for salvation. And you say, how do you know that? Because you just read the passage. It says, 
Many believed in His name when they saw the miracles which He did, but Jesus did not commit Himself unto them, because He knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. Jesus knew what was in these people, and they were believing on Him, they were being convinced of things, they were learning, but they were not saved. Right? They weren't saved. Hey, if Jesus is not committed to you, you're not saved. Right? And he wasn't committed to them because he knew what was in them. But they're learning and they're hearing. And then verse 1 of chapter 3 says there was a man of the Pharisees. So I say, I back up there and pick this up because other people are just, I'd say they're demonstrating some indication of interest and learning and seeking and asking questions, but they weren't saved. And Nicodemus obviously also was not saved. He knew this, verse 2. He knew that Jesus was a teacher. Come from God. He saw that he was a, he knew he was a teacher. And maybe that's what he thought all he was. He, he's just a teacher, but he, we know God sent him because he's performing miracles. And so these things are going on in Nicodemus' mind. And I think something that's obvious, it may be a bit speculative, I don't know, but it says in verse 2 that he came to Jesus by night. Now that just could be mentioned by John as an incidental bit of information, but I think he came by night. To come secretly. You know, he, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. Anybody who reads the New Testament knows that the majority of the religious leaders did not recognize Jesus, didn't welcome Jesus. They were, they were anti-Jesus. And uh, so he came by night, probably not to be seen of his peers, that he could ask him these questions. And so he comes to Jesus, he begins to ask him these questions or make this observation And now look in verse 3. So what did Jesus do? Jesus answered him, verse 3, in this way. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we hear that phrase, and you know, a lot of us, we, we immediately know what that means. But Nicodemus didn't know what that meant. By the way, a lot of people in our culture don't know what that means. I remember the great stir when uh, Jimmy Carter said he had been born again. I don't know if many of y'all can remember that, but that just set the world on fire, really. And, um, and I'm not going to talk about his birth, but anyway. <laughs> Nicodemus, Nicodemus was, was challenged with these words. Think about this. You're a religious man. You're, you're a devoutly religious man. You're a leader among the Jews. You're a Pharisee. And Jesus said, none of that's going to get you to heaven. You must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now, why is that important? Because everybody needs to understand this. When we go to talk to people, at some point, we want to let them know this. That being religious will not fix what's wrong with you. Reforming will not fix what's wrong with you. You cannot do enough good stuff to fix what's wrong with you. You must have a spiritual transformation. You must be regenerated, reborn again. You must must have a new birth. Now look in verse 4. It says, Nicodemus saith unto him, How? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now that seems almost like a... To us, it seems like he's making 
almost a sarcastic response, but I don't think he was. He didn't understand it at all. And by the way, when I was talking to these people this week that I was referring to earlier, that's exactly how they felt. You could see it when I said, you must be born again. And then he said, well, how do I do that? I mean, how, I've, only, I've already been born once. How can I be reborn? Must I enter my mother's womb, be born again? He was, Nicodemus was completely lost. And one of the makes, mistakes I think we make sometimes is we use this religious jargon that we're so familiar with that people that we're talking to don't even know what you're talking about. Nicodemus didn't even know what he was talking about. He said, how can this be? He had no concept of how this could happen. And the reality is, people who are religious especially are blinded. Because they, that's why they'll often say, well, I'm Catholic or I'm Presbyterian or I'm Lutheran. You know why? Because they somehow think that's what's going to get them to heaven. But what Jesus said is that's, that's not going to be enough. You must, you mu- whatever this new birth is, you must have it. And what is it? What is, what is it? Look in verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So he, he must be born of the Spirit. This new birth is not something you can do. And this, by the way, this will be a good thing for everyone here to think about tonight. The new birth is not anything to do with what you can do. It's something God does in you. You can't make it happen. You can, you can try to make it look like it happened, but you can't make it happen. It, you have to be born of the Spirit of God. It's a divine work. Only God can perform it. It's not a work of the flesh. One of the most oft misunderstood verses is you probably know, is verse 5, where it says, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And what do some religions say born of water is referring to? Baptism. You say, do they really believe that? Sure they believe that. You talk to enough people, you're going to find people that believe that. They believe that the water is a, the baptism was a part of their birth, their new birth. That's, that's why this person that I talked to this week who called me on the phone said, um, I, I, I need to be, I can't tell you everything he said, but he said, I know I, I, know I need to be baptized. You know why? Because he thinks baptism has something to say with saving him. But what does it mean when it says born of water? It explains it in the passage, verse 5. And you need to be getting this. I mean, I hope you're paying attention to this. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Then verse 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now verse 5 talks about two births. Water birth, spirit birth. Verse 6 talks about two births. Birth of the, the flesh birth, that born of the flesh, and the Spirit's birth. So... So what is that talking about? The flesh birth, born of the flesh, born of the water, are used synonymously. They mean the same thing. Your, your physical birth is when you're born of water, right? That's any, anybody who's ever been with someone or around someone who had, gave birth, they know that's a part of it. They, 
Their water breaks. It's a part of, it's a part of the birth process. So you have a natural birth. But with Jesus saying, a natural birth is not enough. You don't, have to have a, you don't need to have a second natural birth, but you must have a spiritual birth. You must be born again. And, and, and then Jesus kind of um, took it a step further, verse 7, or just gave us some more illustrations, really, for him to think about. Verse 7, marvel not. Don't marvel that I said unto thee, you must... Must, it's imperative. You must be born again. You must have a spiritual birth. And by the way, this, this would be a good passage right here. If you ever had an opportunity to talk to an unsaved person and, and they say, well, wh- tell me more about what you mean about being saved. I mean, what a great passage right here. Just use that passage. Just talk right here from this passage. You must be born again. Verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth, where it wills or wants to. The wind, it's talking about just the wind outside. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. You can't see really where it's coming from or where it's going. But you can see, you can hear the effect of it, right? You can hear it, you can hear it as the leaves are blowing. The, you can hear the wind, the, the effect of the wind. And he says, so is everyone, in verse 8, that is born of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that just like you can see and hear the effect of the wind blowing, but you can't see the wind... You can see the effect of the Spirit of God, even though you can't hear Him or see Him. Because He's the one that's going to birth someone into the family of God, right? You must be born again. And by the way, when He's working, there'll be evidence He's working. Right? I mean, somebody gets saved, it ought to be pretty obvious. This person got born again. Right? You go to the hospital, you're going to... See that grandbaby after they gets born? You know what? You're going to see the baby. You're going to say this. I see it. Evidence right there. A birth took place. It's, I, don't, I don't buy into this thing. People get saved and there's not any change in their life. I think there will be a change in their life. I'm not saying they're per- perfect. None of us are. We're being perfected. We're growing in grace. But it's like the wind. You know when the wind is blowing. And... And so, look, look at me if you would please in verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Think about that. Here's a man, a religious ruler. Now just sit and think about this for a moment. A leader of the Jews. A religious ruler. A Pharisee. Now you may or may not know this, but the Jews didn't just know parts of the Bible. Most of the Jews knew almost all the Bible. I mean, they knew their Bible through and through. This, was a, this, was a, this man was a knowledgeable man. And not just knowledgeable about, you know, history and math and science. Knowledgeable about God. About the Old Testament. About the way God works. And yet, and yet when he heard about the new birth... When he heard about, it's like the wind blowing. This is what he said. 
I don't, I'm still not getting it. How can this be? Are you with me? And sometimes we have the idea that you should be able to go up to someone's doorstep and spend three minutes with them, and all of a sudden they're going to be ready to be saved. Now, that may happen, but, but I'm telling you, people we're dealing with are a lot more ignorant of God and the Bible than this man was. Are you with me? So we ought to be, we have to be like I said a few weeks ago, we have to be patient with people. Right? Be patient with them. Work with them. And, and the thing we're looking, one of the things we're looking for is interest. You know what I'm saying? They want to have an interest. In, this man was interested. I mean, he was sticking his neck out just to talk to Jesus. He was interested. And so, look with me if you would please in verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou master of Israel, and knowest not these things? You, you are a theologian. You're an expert, a master, a teacher, and you don't know these things? Verse 11. Verily, verily, I say, by the way, let me just say this. This is why Paul wrote that it, about the, the darkness that people are in, the spiritual darkness, and how the, the, their minds have been blinded by the God of this world. And how it takes God to shine the light of the glorious gospel into their heart. God has to turn the light on, right? And He can do it. And sometimes He can do it with... And I'm not saying it can't happen. Sometimes He can do it the first time they hear the gospel. They just see it. God convicts them. The light shines. They understand it. They believe and they're eternally saved. But, but a lot of times, it doesn't happen that way. Okay, so... so Verse 11, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. You're not taking, you're not taking my word for it. I'm telling you something I know. I'm telling you and testifying what we've seen, and yet you're not, you're not believing it. By the way, don't be offended if a person doesn't believe it. I preach, I preach from this pulpit about three times every week. There are people who don't take me seriously. <laughs> right? Seriously. They don't. If they did, they'd change their life. They'd, they'd, they'd turn to Christ. They'd, they'd get serious about spiritual things. But they don't take it seriously. So, and they didn't take Jesus all that serious. So don't, don't be offended if people aren't taking you serious. And by the way, I don't take you serious either. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Verse 12. (laughs) If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Now, verse 13 is a very important verse. They're all important, but think about this verse. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now that is a mouthful. He, first of all, Jesus is identifying himself as being more than just a good teacher, more than just a master theologian. He's identifying himself as the son of man, as really as, as, the, as the God man, as, as God's son. And he's, he's, notice what he says in verse 13, no man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven. He says, None of, Nicodemus, you've not been up to heaven, but I have been in heaven. 
and I've come down from heaven. Now, it's really getting, I mean, this, it's really getting deep now. It's getting serious. He's not just saying, you know, I'm a good teacher. He's not just saying, but he said, I came from God. I came from heaven. And, that, and, and, and the amazing thing about verse 13, or many amazing things about it, but one of them is, it says, but he that cometh down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So he's basically said, I came from heaven and I'm in heaven. Right? So only God could do that. Right? Only God can do that. He said, I be- God became a man, but he never ceased to be God. And he's got, and you say, well, I just can't understand all that intellectually. Nobody can, really. Nobody can. Because he's saying, I'm separate from the Father and the Spirit, and yes, he, yet he's one with the Father and the Spirit. And I came down from heaven, the Son of Man came down, but he's in heaven. And that's not complicated, it's just, it's just the Bible, it's Bible theology, it's who God is. You say, well, that's not like anybody else. No, God is not like anybody else. So verse 14. Now he's going to give him an illustration from the Old Testament that, will, that should really turn the light on. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And of course, he's going back to Numbers chapter 21. And many of you know the story. You should know the story of when the people sinned. When the people sinned, God sent serpents among them. And the serpents would bite them. And it was a fatal blow. And the people cried out to Moses and you know, they, wanted, they, they were sorry for what they had been saying and what they were doing. And, and God said, build a serpent of brass. Take, a, take brass, form it into a serpent. And if anybody looks at the serpent, they look at that, then they can be healed, right? They can be saved. And so, gee, don't think for a minute Nicodemus didn't know that story. He says, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man. He already identified himself as the Son of Man, right? That came down from heaven. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him would have eternal life. Right? Now, when you read this, and, and a lot of times when we have our baby, daily Bible reading, we're reading through the Scripture, we don't stop and take all the time and meditate on it. But you can see here how Jesus is dealing with this man. How he's talking to him, and, and now he's bringing a story out from him. You know, and, and as you talk to people, you'll think about things like this. You'll think about Moses. And you may have to explain to them what it meant. I don't, I don't use that story about the serpent a lot with pe- talking to people, but often I'll, I'll think about this when I'm talking to them. I'll say, you know, in the Old Testament, and a lot of people don't really know much about the Old Testament, but they know something. In the Old Testament, they would, they would bring animal sacrifices. And I'll say, if you remember that about they brought animal sacrifices, people, didn't, they know that. They slew animals and they shed their blood and it was a part of their system of sacrifices. But I said, you know, when Jesus came, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God. He's God's Lamb. And all that is is just connecting trying to connect something in the Bible they might, might know about to who Jesus is. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here with Nicodemus. And he's saying that, that 
just like Moses was lifted up, or Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And, and he giving this an Old Testament type of that that Nicodemus should be able to identify with. And you know what he's doing? He's 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 pointing Nicodemus to what? To the cross. He's pointing Nicodemus to the cross. He's giving the message of the cross. Just like they lifted up that serpent, I'm going to be lifted up. And just like you looked at that serpent who was brass turned into a serpent, you're going to look, you have to look at me who was a God who became a man who could take his, our sins upon his own body by looking at him, you could be forgiven of your sins. Right? Amen. So, just as those people, Nicodemus, just as those people believed and looked on him, you have to believe and look on me. And every person, by the way, every person who was bitten by that serpent could be healed. So, what did he say from there? Let's let's just look a few more minutes. Verse 16, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I have no way of knowing. I don't have a clue as to how this is all playing out in Nicodemus' mind or Jesus going through it. But it just seems so clear to me. You know, you've got to be born again. You've got to believe. The Spirit of God has to do a work in you, and you've got to believe. Just like those people looked at that brazen serpent, and they believed. The Son of Man will be lifted up, that whosoever believes. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on Him, trusts in Him, depends on Him, relies upon Him, receives Him. Should not perish, verse 16, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. By the way, just a a thought. I have the word saved circled in my Bible there. Because some people believe saved is a Baptist word. Right? They do. And it is a Baptist word. But it's a Baptist word because it's a Bible word. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Saved. You know, when you ask a person, have you been saved? And by the way, I think asking them if they've been saved or have they been born again is better than asking them if they're a Christian. Because just about everybody believes they're a Christian. Right? <laughs> have you been saved? Well, you know, saved, I don't know. Saved, right here it says, God sent not His Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Just another incidental thought. Salvation is for everybody. That the world would be saved. Not just the elect would be saved, not just a handful would be saved, but that the world, God wants the whole world to be saved. Amen? But let's think about this matter of sin now. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world in verse 17. Now verse 18. He that believeth on Him, he that believeth on the sacrifice... On the cross. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. 
because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Everybody who hasn't been saved is condemned, right? They're condemned. What does that mean? We're all sinners. All of us are lost. All of us, just like, go back to the serpent, all of us have been bitten and are condemned. And because of that, we're sinners by nature. Look in verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You know why men love darkness rather than light? Because they're sinners. Amen. They're sinners. They're sinners by nature. But everyone, look in verse 20, but everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Or excuse me, for everyone. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Lest his deeds should be reproved. They don't want to come. I mean, you never, you never once ever caught me in a church house when I was lost, when I was an adult. You know why? Why would I go to the church house? Why would I want to hear preaching? You'd find me in dark places, right? I'm ashamed of that, but dark places. Go to the bars, those kind of places. But you wouldn't find me, you know why? Because I didn't want the light to be exposed. But let me tell you something. When we started getting interested and started having a desire to know God and we got saved, all of a sudden... We like being around preaching. Right? We like it. And, and can I just take it a step further? We like it when the preaching steps on our toes and shows us where we're wrong. A person who does not like to see where they're wrong has got a spiritual problem. So he goes on and says there in verse 20, we're 21. He that doeth truth... He that is of the truth, he that is obeying the truth, cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they're wrought in God. So the whole world is condemned, and, and the whole world can be saved. This, all this is found in this passage. Look at verse 15 where it says, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. The new birth is available to every person universally. Who will be saved, who will receive Christ, who will turn from their sin. They'll not perish. And by the way, there's no greater, there's no greater, there is emphatically, dogmatically, without hesitation, there is no greater evidence of the love of God than Jesus Christ on the cross. Right? The same author, the same human instrument that wrote the Gospel of John, wrote the epistles of John, and says, that this, this is how his love of, the love of God is manifested, and that He sent His Son to die for us. He loves you. You can tell that to anybody. You're talking, God loves you. You say, I don't know how do you know you love because He sent His Son to die for you. So there's so much in here just about, I think it's, I, I want to take the time with it tonight because it's another illustration of just conversationally how we can talk to people about the gospel. And you could have your Bible out, and um, you don't. But but you can also just tell tell them the truth. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. Just give them the gospel. I saw on uh, social media the other day a friend of mine posted that he had just led a, a person to the Lord using a a personal event, an app on his phone. He had an app on his phone that goes through the gospel and shows them they're sinners. And he used his app on his phone, I guess, just telling this guy 
It's, it's, whether it's on the phone or in the, on, the, on the black leather Bible or it's on a little New Testament, whatever, it's still the Word of God, amen? If it's on the track, it's the power of God into salvation. And it's enough to save the world. Another important thing, I've got two more things, is this. That salvation, the new birth, like the natural birth, happens at a point in time. It's not a process. Now, sanctification is a process. We're becoming more Christ-like. But salvation, the new birth, is an event. And that's why I asked these people that I was talking to, when did this happen to you? You know, if you think you're saved, when did that happen to you? Well, I don't know. Well, you know, you may not know the day or the calendar day, what day of the week it was, but you ought to know when your life was changed, right? So it happens at a point in time. And then the last thing, it changes a person. I go back to that verse 21. He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that that they're wrought in God. What does that mean? Their deeds may be manifested, that they are wrought in God. It means God's the one that's doing them. God does it. When, you get, when a person gets saved, there'll be, there'll be a change in their life. Amen? Now, if you, you know, it may not have happened recently that you got saved. And it, may have, it may be different if you got saved when you were a child or a teenager or an adult. But some of us who are adults when we got saved, we not only saw the change, people close to us saw the change. You, our family members saw the change. They didn't, and they, we may have told them we got saved, but they found out soon enough they could see that we got saved. Our behavior changed, our vocabulary changed, our attitude changed, our friends changed, right? Salvation changes a person. He wants to come to the lights. It's God's work in him. Now, what about this Nicodemus? Nicodemus definitely became a believer. He definitely became a follower of Jesus. It doesn't say he got saved here. There's nothing here that indicates he got saved here. He may have. But two things I want to just to throw this in at the end that we know about him. Turn to the right a little bit to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, there is some discussion, contention going on among the Pharisees. Concerning Jesus. In John chapter 7, verse 43 says, For there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, captured him, but no man laid hands on him. John seven forty-five. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees. They said unto him, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, what an answer. Never man spake like this man. I mean, that's an interesting answer. Why didn't you bring him? Nobody ever spoke like this man. Isn't that great? Man. Verse 47. Then answered them the Pharisees, are you also deceived? I mean, has he convinced you? Has he he messed messed your head up? Are you deceived? Verse 48. Have any of the rulers... Or of the Pharisees believed on him? You know what they're giving evidence of? They're saying, we know, 
We know. We're Pharisees. Do any, have any of us believed on Him? No. You know what? We're too smart for that. We wouldn't believe on Him. Verse 49, But this people, these ignorant people, who knoweth not the law are cursed. Sure, they may believe on Him. They don't know any better. Nicodemus spoke up. Saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of him. That's in parentheses. That's not a part of the dialogue. It's just identifying who Nicodemus was. John wants to make sure we know who Jesus was. Nicodemus was. Nicodemus said unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, He said to them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him? And know what he says? He's a, he's a Pharisee. Talking to the Pharisees. But he's a voice of reason. And saying, we shouldn't, we shouldn't condemn a man before we hear him. Verse 40, 52. They, they answered and said unto him, to Nicodemus, directly. Art thou also of Galilee? Search. You're from Galilee. Search and look. For out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. He can't. They say, he's from Nazareth. He couldn't be a prophet. No prophet ever came out of Galilee before. The point being... Nicodemus is standing up for Jesus now. Is he saved here? We don't know. He could just be learning. He could be coming convinced. We don't know. But look at one last passage. John 19. John 19. This is after the death of Jesus. In John 19 and verse... 37, it says, and again, another scripture saith, they looked on him, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Jesus has been crucified. And then verse 38, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he was a believer, he was a, he was a learner, he was a follower, but he, there was a lot of pressure on you not to identify. Pay, you pay a great price. Besought Pilate that he might, Joseph, that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave, allowed it to happen, gave him the permission. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. And brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. They took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes, placed it in a garden tomb. So here, he's not just defending Jesus, but he is identifying as a follower of Jesus. You know, it doesn't matter for us, because the Bible could have to- would have told us when he got saved, but I'm convinced he got saved, aren't you? He got saved. It may have taken a while, but he got a good lesson you know, if you, if you have, if God gives you the opportunity, and He will give you the opportunity to sit down with someone, maybe a child, a teenager, maybe a friend of yours, maybe a sibling, a brother or sister, maybe a parent or a cousin, someone you work with. But if you have the opportunity just to tell your story and go through the gospel with them, you've, you've planted a seed in their life that may eventually change their life forever. Right? They may get saved right then, but they may not. But I'm convinced that that little conversation that Nicodemus had 
in the darkness of Jerusalem, when he came by night, he never got away from it, right? He never got away from it. The gospel. It's the gospel. Amen. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you have heard enough gospel tonight that you're without excuse. If you're not saved, if you've never personally trusted Christ and been born again, you ought to come tonight and get saved. Amen? And if you don't come tonight, you ought to think about it. When you lay your head on your pillow at night, hope you think about it. The very words that Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's no getting around it. And those of us who are saved, as I've said Wednesday night after Wednesday night the last couple of months, let's pray and let, just ask God, use me. Let me tell this story. Give me opportunities. Help me not to be in such a rush that I don't have time to talk to somebody. Give me the words to say. Amen? If somebody came to you, just like Nicodemus came to Jesus, somebody came to you, you say, well, I don't know where to turn. Turn to John chapter 3 and just start talking to them. Just read a little bit and talk a little bit. Right? Amen.